Good evening and welcome to Wrestling Rewind. I'm your host, Angel Amoroso, and I am joined by my co-host, the Iron Man, Tommy Cairo. Tommy? What's happening, girl? How are you? Good, good. This week, we have a special guest promoter, uh, former wrestler, uh, Ricky O. Ricky, would you like to say hello to the audience? Hey, guys. How are you? It's so nice to see your two faces, man. I'll tell you, you are two of the first, like, five people I ever met in this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Business, and it's great to see you guys. It's great to have you, Ricky. Uh, So... What we want to do here is, I mean, we know you so well and we love you, uh, but, you know, a lot of people out there need to know the history of promoters and wrestling. So uh, why don't you give us a little idea about yourself, how you got interested in wrestling? Like, you know, where did you grow up first? Uh, Who was the first wrestler that caught your eye, that influenced you to become a wrestler? Where did you get trained who influenced you to become a promoter? Like I'm giving a lot of this away right, right. now, but it's, it's layered and you're layered. So, you know, uh, unlayer it for us and just tell us everything that makes up Ricky O. It was uh mid seventies. I was sleeping over my aunt's house and luckily I used to sleep in a pullout bed in the den and they had cable TV, which we didn't have in my part of New Jersey. And I turned the TV on real late at night and Gene LaBelle show was on from California and Andre the Giant and Mil Mascaris split a 30-man battle royal. And what made me flip out was um, like 20 guys got on top of Andre and tried to pin him down. And Andre just pushed him off like the Incredible Hulk. And then Mill started drop-kicking people um, over the top rope. And I was like, what is this? This is insane. You know, I was like six, seven years old. And then I went home and I told my mom. And my mom says to me, oh, um, and, Tommy, you're going to get a kick out of this. She, she goes, I went to school with a guy who was in the WWF, um, Pete Reeves. I went to high school with him. And I was like, Ma, are you kidding me? You know one of these guys? And do you remember back in the day they used to give you a number, uh, uh, an address on the TV to send pen pal letters to, like, the WWF? Yeah. yeah. So I just started writing Pete like crazy. Every week I would write to Pete. And then um, yeah, you know, forward, He turns out to be my mother's best friend's and, and that's how I met him. It's like you. He, 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 he never answers me. And then what's crazy is um, his, last, his shoot last name is Figali. So make a long story short, I open up a little restaurant in a gym in Garfield, New Jersey. And my mom and I have this little kitchen in a gym. And all of a sudden, the owner comes to me and says, hey, there's a wrestling school coming in here. 
and there's this guy from Lyndhurst. He's going to open up and put a ring in here. You're going to make some money feeding the wrestlers. And that guy was the guy sitting over there, Iron Man Tommy Cairo. All right. So I run into Pete Reeves at Iron Man Tommy Cairo's wrestling school, and I start talking to Pete, and Pete says to me, look, you know, at the time I was drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals, I was playing baseball. Baseball was my whole life, but I always wanted to get in wrestling. And Tommy would let me work out a little bit. Uh, Billy DeMott was there. If you want to talk about a lineup, it was like Crowbar, Billy DeMott, Iron Man Tommy Cairo, Ted Petty, um, every once in a while, Pete Reeves, your your old partner, Keith, what was it, Shea or Shira? Shira, yeah. Keith Shira, Manny Fernandez in and out of this place, Ron and Don Harrison. So everybody's there. And Tommy was gracious enough. I would feed him, and he'd let me go in the ring and try to work out a little bit. A little bit into that, I was in an industrial act. You were on the losing end of that. <laughs> you weren't bad, but I'll tell you what, that kid, Keith ate me at a house at home. I'm not going to lie, like 30 chicken cutlets a day. Um, but I was uh, injured in an industrial accident. I broke my leg in 10 places, and I had 65 screws and about 10 plates in my leg. And that was it for me with wrestling. But I still had the restaurant. And that guy right there, I'm going to put him over like nobody in the world probably is ever going to do this for you, Tommy. And I get, I get emotional, and if I cry, I'm sorry. Uh, my, my, my friend was in a really bad accident. He uh, found out he was going to be a football player in college. And uh, he was celebrating, and the, the, the asshole jumped off a roof into a pool trying to be funny, and he broke his neck. And he was a quadriplegic from his throat down. He was only able to move his mouth and his eyes. And we were looking to do something to help his family because it was devastating to his family. They, that house that wasn't built properly for a ramp. They didn't have room for the beds and the ventilators. And that guy next to you came to me and said, I'll do a show for this kid. And um, Tommy Cairo put a show on at Lodi High School. And um, 1994, uh, uh, it was November 24th, 1994, 1,700 people at an independent show. He had him against Manny Fernandez in the main event. Um, uh, uh, what's his name? Scotty Flamingo was on the show as uh, Scotty Polo. There was a guy named Mark the Terminator who later went on to become Bubba Ray Dudley. Jimmy Superfly Snooker. There was a guy there whose wife went into labor in the middle of the show. Uh, that person was Billy DeMott. You remember oh. that? Billy's kid was yeah. born the night of your show. Wow. And um, Crowbar Chris Ford was there. And there was a bunch of other, you know, metal maniac. And, and there was just a bunch of people on the show. And Tommy, I don't know if you remember this, but you were the first one and Chris Ford was the second one. They were able to bring my friend on a ventilator to the show for about a half hour. He was able to physically be there. And that guy walked over next to you, and he handed Chris his envelope for the night and said, I don't want no money. This is for you and your family. And Tommy did that for him, and Crowbar followed. And I think pretty much everybody on that show, except for two or three people who didn't know what the importance of the show was, all donated their money back to the family. And they were able to build a ramp. They were able to get the wall knocked down in his house for the ventilator and the bed that needed to be done. And that was all Iron Man, Tommy, Tommy Cairo. And Chris passed away last year. Uh, he lived a real really, um, he, he lived wow. He lived into his 40s, thank God. He wasn't really given five years, and he went almost right. 25 years being like that. Wow. Wow. Uh, but he, to the day he passed away, had the poster of that show in his room and always said to me, I can never thank you guys for what you did for me that night. And that was wow. you. Thank you. That was awesome. I mean, we, uh, not that I didn't think it was a big deal at the time, but it was like a no brainer. Like, you know, we got to do this. Right. Um, there, there was even some confusion 
at the end with the people that were dealing with the financial end of it. And I guess they didn't understand the terms of the contract that was set up. But, you know, we made it work anyway. And right. at that point, it wasn't about a dollar made. Right. It wasn't, you know. And, uh, and uh, after all these years, I'm glad to hear that. That's awesome. Yeah, man, you, you were incredible that night. And then can I tell the after party story or no? Sure, sure. You guys get real open on shit? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Tell it. So, so the after show, if you remember, Tommy, there was a place in Rhode Island called Junior's Bar. And sure. Junior donated the wrestlers a um, one-hour open bar to anybody who wrestled on the show for Chris. That was the thank you. So Manny Fernandez and Jimmy Snuka end up there, and we're all partying. I don't know if you remember my roommate, Tommy, but he was like 6'4", big pony, always wore a headband. He looked like a wrestler, but he wasn't. So, yeah. and, uh, we're going to walk into Junior's, and Manny Fernandez drove in my car. And my buddy Nikki and I get out and we go inside and Manny's not there and Nikki's girlfriend's not there. And we're like, what the fuck is going on? Where's Lori? We go outside and Manny Fernandez has Lori in a front face lock and he's choking her out in the car because he was trying to force his head, her head down. Jimmy Snuka, who was really close with us, you know, because Jimmy was always around New Jersey and we all knew Jimmy really well, goes out and just Manny Fernandez right in the face. Really? What the fuck? And they're going to fight over this girl who is the ugliest human being you've ever seen in your life. But Manny was trying to force himself on her, and Jimmy punches her. And then everybody goes crazy, and Tony, Big Tony grabs Manny and says, let's go across the streets my house. We could do some yayo. And Manny calms down, and he leaves and goes to Tony's house. And everybody parties, and we don't see Tony, and we don't see Manny for the rest of the night. Well, three days later, the show is on a Friday. Monday morning, Tony calls me up and goes, what are you doing? I go, nothing. He goes, you got to get this fucking guy out of my house. I go, what? He's like, Manny hasn't stopped in line for three days. He's at my kitchen table for three days. So that was the, that was the end of that story. And um, after that, uh, me and Devin Storm became very close. And Devin and Tommy Fierro and I used to hang out all the time because we all lived in that little area. And um, Tommy introduced me to Dennis Corluzzo. And from there, I just became super close with Dennis. Started helping him promote a little bit, doing everything. You know, nobody helped Dennis. He, you know, we all just got taken advantage of. You know, I helped Dennis. But you know, as much as we all love Dennis Corluzo, and he was the North American champion, and everybody killed themselves for Dennis. And Dennis is the greatest guy in the world. I will never say a bad thing about Dennis ever. But we all just were. We were all just there. You know, it was just you never knew what was going to happen. Tommy, you remember shows where the cops showed up and they were. Oh looking, yeah. You know, you never, just, knew. never knew what was going to happen. No, well, he stripped me of the title because I was at the hospital. The belt's in my car, and my wife is uh, giving birth to my daughter, Sky. He's like, uh, so he's like, he's got a team player. So we stripped him of the title, and I don't know, reckless youth against Tom Carter yeah. or whatever. Tommy Carter. I didn't make years later, and I'm glad before he passed, we talked, and you know, that was all forgotten. But I don't know if you guys noticed, but that same belt was stolen on a show by. Bucci, Donnie B, and he locked it in a locker in the locker room. I leave there and figure my belt's gone. That jerk off took my belt. I don't know, say a bad mouth a friend of his or something. I don't know. So it must have been like quite a while, a year or so later. Stop now, right? Isn't the police, police department. Yeah, I get a call from the police department. We found your belt. I'm like, what? You know, I went I down and swore. Donnie works as a police officer right now. So yeah, that's the pretty yeah, 
I never got along with him or his brother. It's, it's no, I, I, I didn't care for him. I didn't care for you or I don't like their uh, one of them is a Fanuke anyway, right? One of them, Rumor funny, yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, I went to I Dennis and, and Dennis got me promoting, and then he actually said to me one day, He goes, Listen, you're great, you helped me with everything, you're a good guy. Why don't you start running your own shows, you know? And um, I ran Cliffside Park High School in 1999, and then I ran Lynnhurst High School. If you remember this, Tommy, I ran Lynnhurst High School and put in the police department, and I put 2,000 people in the building. My very first show I promoted myself ever. Mike Sconza from Lynnhurst was Dickie Valiente and Mike Sconza, and um, we sold that place out to the max, man. Guys were going home with gigantic, you know, envelopes and they were getting diamond earrings from jewelers and and it was just amazing and then i i went 23 years straight of running at least six to eight shows a year i got involved with some people i shouldn't have got involved with, like dave marquez the fucking piece of shit that he is in california um mario savoli robbed me blind they're still robbing me blind i just found out all of my archives are being sold overseas on pay-per-view the Kamala, i don't know if you've seen lately there's a match between brian danielson and kamala that's been making the rounds on the internet I promoted that. I own the rights to it. He's selling it on pay-per-view out in, in, you know, overseas somewhere. So, so I've seen the burden in the back. you could do about this? Or have you checked into it? Like I, I, I've just started doing it. But the overseas laws are so crazy. They don't respect the United States trademarks. They don't respect, like, copyrights and stuff like that. And they know all the ins and outs. Because you remember Savio Vega was going to kill him in Puerto Rico. He, well, you he, know, we were talking about the school there where you, where you had your place. He called me one day, and I knew of him. Of course, I actually worked for him on one of my first shows. He wanted to import all these kids to come to the training center and sleep at the, the school yeah. on the floor. I'm like, what? Are you insane? Like, he was trying to push himself on me. I said, don't, don't come here, bro. I said, really? We ran Maine together from 2007 to 2011, and we would go up on a Thursday night, run Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning, and drive back. And I started thinking it was weird because we'd go up there and, you know, he knew everybody because he ran Maine for like 30 years. But he would put me in a room with like five guys in a, you know, a, a sleep motel, you know, no-name hotel. And I'd be like, where are you going? You don't have a room here? Oh, I know a friend down the street. I'm staying at his house. It turns out he'd be like in a Marriott penthouse four miles away, and he'd have nine of us in a room. But meanwhile, I'm footing the bill. And uh, I just got fed up with the nonsense. And, and, and Dave Marquez – you know, he was a guy who would live in my house. He, you know, my kids, when him would go to dinner, he had a room in my home. He had a car that we gave him. And I was making money in Newark, New Jersey. I was getting paid about 25000 a show three times a year to run um, old school wrestling shows for Corey Booker, who was the governor for a little while in New Jersey, or was yeah. Senator Corey Booker. And Dave weaseled his way in. Hey, let me put this on national TV. I've got math TV. I've got this, you know, in Vegas. So I'll run Vegas, you run Newark. And I learned my lesson when he snuck in there after the third show and put the checks into the, the NWA corporate name, and they took about 75000 from me. Wow. And that was it. I was done. And then I'm like, I'll never have a partner again. And then I started, you know, JCW full-time, which turned into GCW. We started touring, doing these, you know, skate festivals. And it really got... Really, really good. And then real life took over. I, I got transferred to Nashville. Um, I got a great job, great home. And I was just like, I can't do this anymore. You know, going back and forth to New Jersey. Who's robbing my money? Who's renting my ring without telling me? 
my my shoot job was a construction job, so I owned a truck. And guys were going to my construction warehouse and saying, "Ricky, let you know, said we could borrow the truck." And they're doing ring rentals without me knowing of my oh. own ring. Oh. And I was just like, "This business sucks, man." You know, before I actually, you know, Tommy, you're 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 like a big influence to me. We had a little, you know, you thought I was upset with you or some shit, but you don't, you know, you were like my fucking man in this business. I always looked up to you, and I still do because you were the first person ever got me in. But I have the worst temper in the fucking world. And I literally had to get out because I was going to kill somebody. And there's a couple people, I'm not going to say names because I already did it once on a show. And I got a call from the police in New Jersey saying I was making terroristic threats on, a, on, on the Internet, which is federal. Oh. But um, they know who they are. And I know that one day our paths will cross. And when they do, well, I'm going to fucking kill them. Let me, let me speak on that one moment. And, um, up until the point we were in the same building, I actually of my own accord, put the whole friggin' system up for them, whatever they had, lights, and whatever they were, Sigoldi's on this particular day. Right. They had I a couple guys fumbling. Yeah, they had a couple guys fumbling around. I go, get down. You know, I couldn't sit there anymore. You know, electrician, I knew. So I, I went and I did everything. I never, they never said a word. They didn't say thank you. They didn't say nothing. Then, I'm thinking about what you just said before. It makes a lot of sense. As soon as you um, started adding people, okay, especially when you already know what you're doing, your product is going to get watered down or influenced by the other people because by rights you took them in as a, a partner. So now they got all these ideas and they want to influence them. And you're not sure what to let them do and what not let, to let them do. So unless something is written and it's a contract on paper, these like getting together of promotions, it doesn't work. There's no reason for it. It's bad enough. One guy, how are you going to split it three ways? It's right. not enough money to go around. So it makes everybody tense and it makes for – not not a good show. So when that particular day we got together and it was me, you, Freddie Rubenstein, Bill Varlis at that show, and as soon as we talked about possibly doing something together, you mentioned something about well now we can figure out what we're going to pay these guys. And in my head, I just took it as well, it makes no sense for us to add another person because we all, we're getting I'm getting the guys for what I'm getting them for. For whatever reason, you know, time years in the business, they know me. They've worked for me before. Uh, I wasn't willing to share that when there wasn't enough to go around with the three of us. And it was just like, why are we doing this? Why are we keep? It's okay to mix when you've got a big conglomerate and there's all kinds of money behind it. But when you start joining forces, all you do is cut the pie in another piece. And now there's another person to weigh in. And very rarely are you all going to get together on issues. And when you're me, who's the guy that actually went out and, and worked, and now we're talking, I'm a promoter. So you as a promoter, having the influence and, and uh, experience that you've had in your way and the way I've gotten it, that's a, two, different, two different sides. A promoter that comes from, you know, just promoting, and a promoter is a guy who's been in the business. You may look at some of my decisions and not, as not the best business, but I'm looking at it. I know I'm the guy that came to the building that didn't have barely enough money to get there. There's not a bottle of water. There's not a, a protein bar. There's not nothing. So I'm going to look at it differently. We're going to say, well, what do you want to pay so-and-so? I'm always going to go for the higher amount, which doesn't make sense as a promoter, but makes sense as a worker. So it made it very difficult for me to, to be able to understand what other people wanted to have an influence on when it didn't come from the same place I came from and vice versa. Right. right, you're coming from a business point. 
I'm coming from the love of the business and figure, oh, maybe I can make this work because I know how the business works. But that work can work against you too, you know, because then guys want to take advantage. So, listen, it's a tough thing no matter what. In this day and age, it's even harder. How are you going to promote today? You're wasting your time. Really. Well, I don't understand how people run shows nowadays, man. I, I Listen, GCW, Brett Lauderdale's taking it to another level. God bless him. I don't have a problem with Brett. It's some other people that I sold, you know, he's bought into my company with that I have an issue with. But he's a great touring company. But then I look at some of these things, like especially here. I'm in Tennessee, right, Tommy? I'll, oh, see, I didn't a, know that. I'll see a ring set up, and there's 14, 15 people in the crowd, and I'll see the Rock and Roll Express, Jimmy Valiant, Tommy Rich, uh, you know, uh, Chase Stevens on these shows. And I'm like, are these guys still working for free? Because I know they can't be getting paid. And then you yeah. go up the north and you got a guy who's worked three shows and you walk in and you're going to talk to him. He's like, I want 150. I want all my merch. I want to set up that intermission in the ring. And I'm like, bro, you, you, nobody even knows how to spell your fucking name. Yeah, you know, that's exactly. what I ran into was uh, I got complimented one day by Dennis. Dennis said, you know what? For an Italian, you're a hell of a fucking Jew. I always thought like, like you, Tommy, I'd give you anything. I'd give Crowbar anything they want. I would never argue with somebody like you. And you're right, man. When you come from, and we would never, and we would never hijack either. Because, no, you know what never, I mean? never. You know how many times Chris would come in the building an hour before my show and go, "I don't want to get paid." I, I, he wasn't on the card. I'm just home. I don't have a, a place to go tonight. Can I work? And this is a guy who's yeah. on national TV for years. You know, but that's yeah. a different breed. He might be, unfortunately, the single nicest person that's ever worked in this business, Chris. You know, he's still yeah. doing free physical therapy for guys that don't have insurance. He's fixing injuries on people. He's just a, 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 an incredible human being. And yeah. then on the other side of that coin, you know, I, I, I've seen the worst of the best. You know, um, the Road Warriors. Dennis passes away. Hulk calls me up. This guy's my fucking idol as a kid. He says, listen to me, Ricky. I know who you are. You've been running shows for years. Dennis always put you over. Dennis passed. I'm not charging you. We want to be on his memorial show. I said, what? We're flying ourselves in. We're doing the show. I don't want to dime. Wow. 15 minutes later, I get a phone call. This is, this is Animal. Uh, Animal, how are you? I just talked to Hawk. Thank you guys for coming in. He can tell you whatever fucking deal you want. I'm getting paid. I want five grand, and you're flying me in, and I want a car service from the airport. And I'm like, I can't give you five grand on a memorial show, Joe. Like, you know, I can't do that. And him and Hawk got into an argument. Hawk won. They came in. They did it for nothing. They kept their gimmicks. And they ended up probably making five grand each in gimmicks. But, you know, and then, you know, like I did Ric Flair many times on signings. I've never had a worse experience in my life than Ric Flair. And I told this story last week on my show. Three days before, five days before Dusty died, I did Dusty's last signing. And there was an agreement between Dusty and Flair. The last hour, they would do a dual signing with the NWA belt in between them. And the fans would get to come in the middle and, you know, take a photo with Flair. And we'd print it and they'd get it right then and there signed by both. Dusty's all about it. He's like, brother, watch the clock. We got to go see Ricky. We got to go see Ricky. And um, I thought it was odd that the big, to me, Dusty's the bigger star, just in my eyes. But Dusty was going to go halfway across the building to go see Flair. So we stopped Dusty's line, which is wrapped around the building. And he goes, it's time to go meet Ricky. So we walk and we go across the way and Dusty's shaking. And Dusty, Tommy, is the God, was the godfather, man. Every single person on that walk stopped their autograph signing. Oh, yeah. Dudley's, Magnum. Tommy Rich, Ken Shamrock, every single person stopped and walked over and hugged and kissed him like if he was Don Corleone. Yeah. So we get over to Flair, and there's like 200 people lined up, and it's $150 a photo op. So there's big money involved in this. And Flair looks at Dusty and goes, 
I'm not stopping my signing to do this stuff. Sorry, I'm making money. And Dusty goes, Ricky, we got 200 people lined up, man. The, the, the dream stopped his signing. And Flair went like this. I'll never forget as long as David goes, we're not doing it. I'm sorry. We can't do it. And Dusty wow. turns around and goes, motherfucker, fuck him. I made that motherfucker. He's going to big shot me. Go to our table. And we walk back. And he looked at me and he said, I'll stay here all night long as long as every person on that line gets an autograph from me. Wow. I'm not disappointing my fans. And he passed five days later. So whoever says that Ric Flair wow. was Dusty's boy or whatever like that didn't see what happened on that night. And I saw the, a different end of the business. This is the American Dream who made Ric Flair. He was the booker, if you remember, who put Flair over yeah. forever and was guilty of really making Flair too big of a head in the business. And Flair shoved it right up his ass. And I said to myself, there's no loyalty ever. That taught me the biggest lesson of my entire life. Everybody only needs you when they need you, especially in this business. You're fucking yeah. nobody when they don't need you. Well, I, you know, Rick, Rick Flair is a big disappointment, and he had a chance. Why in his last match, you got to cut your head? Why you got to cut yourself? What what part of that gives you any class, adds anything, but take further away from your legacy where yeah. people look at you now and you're a fool? Just a, a fool. I mean, seriously. I didn't even go near the show. I was invited. Thank God. You know, really nice people invited me, wanted me to be. I, I didn't want to. Be, I didn't want to see it. My childhood was him ripped, shredded, doing 60-minute, you know, draws with Steamboat. I didn't want to see him. And then I watched it afterwards, and I, it was an embarrassment. He was passed sure. out at one point in the side of the ring, laying there. In a, I called it a Ric Flair onesie. You know, he couldn't yeah. take his shirt off. It was embarrassing. You know, it truly yeah. was embarrassing. I'm glad I didn't watch because I actually I I couldn't I thought I couldn't think any less of him than I already yeah. did with my past with him, but I'm sure that would have brought it down a little bit more. But uh, what what year did you start JCW and then when did it end, Ricky? 1999 was our first shows, mm -hmm. um, and then what are we in 22? So around 15, early 16, we switched over because we start we were only running New Jersey. And then when I started getting invited out on these tours, we were told flat out, like, how do I promote Jersey Championship Wrestling in Connecticut? Or how do you promote Jersey Championship Wrestling in Pennsylvania? People are offended by the name, you know? So we were working with a company called Game Changer. It was a really innovative company. It was a um, skateboard meets skateboard park meets heavy metal touring conglomerate. They had all these gigantic. We got to go on tour with the Dropkick Murphys, the Benjamins, uh, Slash. And um, he started taking us on the road. And what, what they would do is set up four stages. And in the middle of the four stages was the wrestling ring. Wow. And we started getting 10, 15,000 people at these things. And then Joey Janela and Nick Gage had a match in Arisbury Park, which was amazing because Joey climbed to the top of the ring truck. And as he jumps off, the lights messed up and Asbury Park sign on the convention center. So it said oh. Asbury and, they put it, and it was on the front page of the paper. Awesome. Um, the dropkick uh, Murphys were supposed to go on, and we ran late, and then they weren't on stage because they were at ringside watching the match. And it was just incredible. We started doing these big super shows as Game Changer. And like I said, we started making really good money. Merchandise went through the roof. We did that Zandy tournament of death when he came out of retirement, and he jumped off the roof oh, uh, with yeah. Joey. That was my show. But... Oh. That is what changed me. When it went to the, they started, I let my bookers do what they wanted to do and they built crowds and we were making money. But when I wasn't able to bring my own kids to shows, I said, I don't want to do this anymore. 
Uh, I understand hardcore is selling, and you guys are killing it, and I'm proud of you. I just don't want my name attached to a dude getting a light tube shoved up his ass. Or, you know, watching a girl, no offense, Angel, because you were a hardcore bitch. And I'll, and I'll admit that to the day I die, you're a tough, one of the toughest women I ever met in my life. Thank but you. I couldn't watch, you know, a dude power drive a woman onto thumbtack. Like, it wasn't my thing. And I, I just said to them, listen, I'm ready to get out. Uh, I got a great shoot job. I'm an operations manager with a hotel chain. I work for the University of Vanderbilt baseball program. Like, for me, a dream job as a baseball guy. I just want to leave. I just had enough, and it was time to go. And, and, and I sold it in 17, early 18, and I've been out since, and I don't miss it at all, you know? Ricky, let me ask you this. Um, well, here's where I feel it really goes over the line. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, out of all the guys that were doing that extreme hardcore, how many of them were using the actual implements to cut themselves? Were there any? There were some, yeah. I, I have to say, especially now with this light tube stuff. and this, and, and, yeah. You know, people, Tommy, people don't realize one thing, right? There's a way to do a barbed wire match and get a lot of color and have the barbed wire be, you know, gimmicked. Yeah. These kids nowadays have no idea that that's, that's even possible. So you're seeing dudes right. getting killed. You know, listen, I know Sabu killed himself. You know, he was the originator of this. And he, God bless, you know, God bless him. He, he, he made a niche and he's incredible at it. But guys who aren't trained, these backyard guys going out now and saying, I'm a wrestler because they can go out and break somebody's head with a light tube. It's just... It's exposed it even more. You know, the business didn't need to be more exposed than what it was. And then you got some idiot. And I'm sorry, Angel, that that kid from uh, uh, the the the, gigolo, the juggalo who's out there jumping off chairs into bar. You know, that that kid who does all those crazy stunts on Twitter. And he's just going, you know, Matt Hardy bat, swanton dive onto Legos, and he's exposing it so much. Like it's, you know, I say, Tommy, tell me if I'm wrong. When I was younger. It was Kamala, Andre the Giant, George Steele. There was an era of illusion where these guys can come over the guardrail and actually kill you. Like, people thought Kamala was savage. People thought George Steele was insane. The kids that were sitting in the front row are now in the ring, and they're 205 pounds, five foot seven. They got arms that look like spaghetti strings, and there's no believability, but yet they're breaking light tubes all over the place to get people to pop. And you know what? You you apologize a lot, Ricky, and and I actually I don't take offense to it because I did everything you're saying. I did kind of start that trend of the the smaller teenagers being used in wrestling that were getting paid zero just for exposure, and um, I you know I, I did take a big part in that, and I, I regret it some, uh, but not all because that we was all- a different situation, I think, Angel. <laughs> a little bit. You're doing it on national TV at one point with the, you know, at the time, the cult company of the world. You and Tommy revolutionized something. You're not doing it in a backyard in front of 10 people. You right. getting hit and power drive and bloody was a fucking, oh my God, they broke the barrier. What is this woman doing moment? Not every single match has a woman getting hit in the head with a light tube. Like there's a I difference. You know, Tommy, and by right or wrong, you brought something up about flair. Color used to mean something. You'd see it yeah. once every six months on TV yeah. or on a pay-per-view. It's every match now. Well, I mean, yes, and here's the thing that really makes it crazy is I know that this may sound does it, does it, like it doesn't make sense, but there's a big difference between me, I'll say for me, never used anything other than a surgical razor razor blade that goes on a scalpel, a number 15 Beckton Dickinson, right? It's sterile. You don't, nobody else has touched it. It hasn't been in your bag. While it's in the foil, I snap it in half. 
I wrap it with tape very carefully to only leave. I can't make a mistake and I can't cut myself too deep because I only leave a tiny, 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 tiny little bit. I'm sorry. You can only cut Derek Domino so deep that he only yeah. in the locker room, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's the I, way to I got a great Derek Domino story for you when we're done. Okay. So I'll tell you about that anyway. So anyway, my, po- my point is I took a lot of care making sure that I didn't use a double-edged blade broken half, uh, anything other than the right and the best possible thing to use. Can't make a mistake, can't overcut, all right? And when you throw it away, it ain't, nobody's even going to know what it is if you have to do that. There's a big difference between that and then as soon as you get done, clean with alcohol, alcohol neosporin, and, and a Band-Aid, right? Never had a problem. I, could, I worked in a school, and if I did this on the weekend, you know, midweek it was already gone. I only had to go with a little tiny, you know, that's a, a different story. When you're taking an actual implement and you're using that to cut yourself, the barbed wire. What you would do when you work with barbed wire is very simple. You wear gloves, you wrap up your wrists, you bring the guys over to the head over to the uh, barbed wire, you hold your gloved hand on the barbed wire, you push his head close, but he doesn't actually touch it and nobody can see that he didn't touch it. You cover it with your hand and then when he rolls over, he gives himself with the regular blade. Still crazy, still seems insane, but a hell of a lot different than something that doesn't have a point that's surgical that's made finally to make an incision. It's going to make a gap, a, a tear, a rip. And that's why they have these heads that you can't go into another business with a head like that. What are you going to do? Walk in and I want to be a salesman. You know, you, you look like a, a, a mongoloid. Your head's all torn up. What is that? How do you explain it? I did it hundreds of times, plenty of times. You can't see nothing. So, it's the difference between being crazy. Those most of those guys that have excessive, it, they're sick. Ivan Koloff, he couldn't wait. He couldn't wait. All right, I'm ready. No, like wait until I do something to you that requires that you you got cut. So it, it is a sickness to a point. How but many this, times did you say you did it, Ricky? Yourself? Well, I was in a different situation because I um, usually was the cowardly you know, little shit manager at ringside and, you know, whatever. But I did get into working for like a year straight and I did it four times. And the worst one ever, and Tommy, you're going to laugh, was the first time. And um, Danny Inferno comes to me and says, um, eat B6 Advil. I'm sorry, like Tylenol. They're going to thin your blood. No, drink it's aspirin. Aspirin, you're right, drink, right. These two, drink these two beers. And he's like, I'm going to show you how to make the blade. Exactly what you said. In the package, nip it just a tiny little quarter, tape it. He's like, either tape it to your finger or put it in your in your trunks, and you just, you know. As I'm going to do it for the first time, Danny Moff of the Hit Squad hits me in the back of the head with a chair, knowing that I'm gigging, and I just stuck myself in my forehead and it went straight down. So I Steve Carinoed instead of going across, and then you could still see the mark. It's over here a little bit on my forehead. I went way too deep. And um, I bled like a pig. And it was funny, Tommy, because everybody has their own story. But I actually, in South River, New Jersey, the first time I gig, had a woman puke and pass out in the front row from how much blood I lost. Oh, so I, I was proud of myself. And I only ah. did it one other time. Um, again, you might get this. I don't know if you know him, Angel, but Bandi- El Bandito from Jersey okay. um, had a show in Passaic, New Jersey, which is all Latin Americans. It's a Puerto Rican town. And I had stolen his mask a couple months earlier. And I came out in Pasek at the Puerto Rican Day Parade, dressed as Bandito, and so came out with a box of mustard, ketchup, and mayonnaise containers. 
And I started throwing them out to the crowd, telling them that it's Mexican Christmas. Here's all your welfare economy. Oh. And they oh. were shocked because they well, thought like, I was Bandito. I'm in his mask. I'm in his trunks. And he comes running out with the Puerto Rican flag. He stole my mask. And Bandito just stiffed me in the top of my head with the Puerto Rican flag pole. And it busted me wide open. And I got color all over the place. It was insane. Hard way. Hard way. But it was fun, man. It was probably the best night of my life. And um, they had to take me out in the trunk of a police car and take me over the bridge into Garfield. And the cop told me to get out. And if they chase me from there, I'm dead. Because it was yeah. they were ready to riot. Yeah, the Puerto Ricans are, are very serious. And they will stab you. They yeah. stab you yeah, in right. a second. Like, you know, you don't play with them at all. And they're them in the wrestling. You know, Jersey's got so many legends as promoters. Tommy started. Dennis. Gino Caruso. Still going, God bless him. Yeah. Still yes. running 25 shows, 30 shows. Uh, wow. Um, Bandito God. running shows. And, you know, Bandito's kids in the WWE now. Eddie Jr.'s the referee. Really? He's, oh, oh, he's been there for four or five years now. He's on every week. He's on TV. Oh. He was an amazing worker in his own right, you know. And Fred, you know, Fred promoted for so long. Or at least promoted. A lot of us just, you know, at the time, you know, like we worked together, like Fat Frank and JAP. We never ran on the same nights. People were always like, oh, that's your company. No, it's, Frank's my, one of my best friends in the world. I'd call him up and say, I got the 14th and the 21st. He'll go, okay, I'm doing the 7th and the 28th. And that's why the business was different. Now, you got four shows in one night within 10 minutes of each other. You got this fucking idiot, Rob Fury, running down in South Jersey, stiffing people, robbing buildings. I went he was doing that when I was running, he came around. When I was yeah. running the first first one, he wanted to get in Bayville. Yes. I'm like, these guys were pulling my posters down and throwing them in a the garbage can at my sponsor's businesses. I'd go in, I'd see my poster and a flipper on the garbage can and a new one up. I called a kid, oh. one guy, I called him. And my wife's like, what are you doing? I said, oh, fuck, she goes, I thought this was going to be better when you started promoting. I said, this is my territory. I said, they, they should know. And my rights, they should have. I mean, you know, if you work together, we can work something out, but. If you're going to try to shoo in before my show. <laughs> he fucking did the same. Listen to me. Same thing. I'm running South River, and I hang all my own posters. I don't trust anybody. They have I to be up the way I want them, where I want them, the stores now, I want them in. for reference, what promotion does he run so everyone knows? SWF or something like that? Yeah, SWF. Yep. So I walk into a bagel store, and this fucking motherfucker is in there ripping my poster down, telling the guy, this show's canceled. And oh my God. Up. So I turned around. I go, Rob, I know you're a long time, bro. You're ripping my posters down. And he, he did the old, I saw you coming in. I did it as a joke, right? Oh, yeah. So I didn't want to fight in the middle of a bagel store. So I let him go. I let it go. I kind of just wanted to not get arrested. So a couple months later, Joey Janela is my champion. And I said, Joe, you're taking a booking for this piece of shit in, in Carteret. It's five minutes from my mom's house. I'm seeing you're working Sanjay Duck. If you lay down as my champion, I'm taking the fucking belt off you. I'm running 60 shows a year. We're touring all over the country. You go to some 15-person show and lay down, you're done with me. Oh, no, I would never do that to you, Rick. I'm sorry. I called Rob up. I said, Rob, if you put Sanjay over Joey, you're going to have an enemy with me. I'm I'm telling you right now, I'm building something good. And I know it sounds old school, and I'm not trying to toot my horn, but I was drawing crowds, you know? So I go to the show. He never expects me to show up. I go to the show. It's the opening fucking match. And Joey lays down in a minute and a half to Sanjay. Oh, my God. I went fucking nuts. I ran through his curtain. I ripped his soundstage and smashed it. And Rob, somebody said, Rob, he's coming after you. He ran out of the building, got in his pickup truck, and took off from his own show. 
I chased Sanjay into a bathroom. He wouldn't come out for 45 minutes. They called the police on me. I had to get it taken out by the police. I was going to fucking kill him. I've never seen him since. He disappeared for a little while because I heard he was an addict. I don't know how true it is. I, you know, I don't wish bad on anybody. I don't want him to die, God forbid, with drugs or anything. But now he's back, and all I hear about is he's stiffing everybody. He's robbing the boys. He's not paying. Listen, guys, if anybody's watching this, I don't care if you get $5. But if you work for free, you're an asshole, okay? Every promoter is making something, and if he's not, he shouldn't be promoting. Right? I just want to say something, Ricky, and I don't mean to cut you off, but – this leads me to a, to a story that I wanted to get into. No one has ever known you as a promoter that has ever ripped anyone off. And uh, to, to get to a funny story about that, when someone had said uh, to uh, Paul Orndorff, that you, that Paul, Ricky's not going to pay you. And, and why don't you tell the story? Okay. So it's that- the NWA 60th anniversary show. And we're at um, the Omni in Atlanta, center stage. And Sid is there, Orndorff's there, uh, Midnight's are there, and I'm the MC for the event for the NWA. Flair was supposed to be there, another dirty Flair moment. The night before, he calls Vince and says, I'm going into the NWA Hall of Fame, and I'm doing Atlanta. Vince says to him, I'll give you this much money, don't do the show. And Flair backs out, and we have to refund like 4,000 tickets because Flair doesn't show up. So we're in the locker room, and Jimmy Cornette, who for some reason, going back to you, Tommy, in, in Yardville, I never was nothing but respectful to Jim. I always loved Jim Cornette. He was one of my favorite people in wrestling as a kid. I was a mark for Cornette. And Dennis always put me over to Jim, and we'd always go out to eat and everything. So one time in Yardville, I'm in the ring working out a little bit with Tracy Smothers. And Jimmy goes over and says something to Tracy and whispers in his ear. And the next thing I know, Tracy kicks me in the face and breaks my nose. So I'm like, fuck, you know? So a couple years later go by, and Jim Cornette is in um, the 60th anniversary locker room, and we walk over, and he gives me a big hug, and Dennis had passed, you know, at this time, and he's like, you know, man, he's like, uh, Dennis thought of you as a son. He always talked nice about you, and it was nice that you – I was with Dennis the last day he died. I had taken Dennis to a Comic-Con, and he met all the Sopranos, and it was the biggest thing in his life. Like, he loved me, and that was his thing. So Jimmy – is in the locker room, and he's talking to me. And now I booked Orndorff last minute to replace Flair. I called him up. I negotiated the deal. And he was like, no problem. And I had worked with him 100 times. There was never a problem. So I'm in the ring, and I'm announcing that the Iron Sheik is getting inducted into the uh, NWA Hall of Fame, and I give Sheik his medal. And I walk back into the locker room, and Cornette goes, Paul wants to see you. And I said, Okay. And I walk back, and he pulls out a fucking blade. It had to be this big, and he puts it to my throat. And he goes, laugh. Go ahead. Jimmy told me you're going to stiff me, motherfucker. I drove eight hours with my grandson for this, and I'll fucking kill you. I go, Paul, easy, bro. Reach into my pocket. There's about ten envelopes already made out. Your name's on one. And he reaches in my, in my pocket, and he pulls it out, and he sees it, and he goes, pulls the blade back in, puts it in his pants, and he goes, that fucking cornet did it again to me. And he, he, you know, he hugged me. He goes, I'm sorry. But meanwhile, he was ready to cut my throat. He had the blade right to my fucking throat. Nobody could say a bad word about you after that to Paul Orndorff, though. And, and Jim Cornette's in the back laughing. Oh, I got you again. I got you again. I'm like, bro, what the fuck, man? Like, it's not funny. Guy was going to cut me. And, and he tried to pull it with Sid. He did the same night. He said something to Sid. And thank God. Now, I have the best Sid story in the world. Um, Sid goes, that's my boy. 
He's never fucked me, Jimmy. He never fucked me. Leave me alone. Don't, don't put that shit in my head. So he tried to get me killed that night by the two biggest psychos in the room. One listened to him and one didn't, thank God. Well, with, this, with, with hearing that, so what were some of your fondest memories? Like, who were your favorite people to work against and with? And then what were your favorite memories of, like, you know, promoting shows and having different people? Like, uh, what, like did you bring any guys in that were brand new to the roster and now we know who they are? Like, yeah, uh, we had great times with uh, people with my Super J Cups, you know, like guys like Jay Lethal, um, Mike Mondo, who went on to be in the Spirit Squad, Kenny Doan. Um, the Briscoe brothers second ever match was one was first one was for Kettner. Second one was for me. I still see the those guys, guys the all the time. They're the best, bro. They are best. hardcore. If they were 20 years older in that, in that era, they, yeah. they, if they Paulie had them in ECW, they would, they'd be a household name everywhere in the fucking world as being crazy. Um, I love a lot of people. I loved working with the headhunters. I love Greg Valentine. I love Tommy Cairo. I love Devin Storm. Yeah. Um, I love my favorite of all time is Reckless Youth. I don't think anybody was better. I think he innovated the business more than anyone will ever give him credit for. There's no CM Punk, no Cole Cabana, Alex Shelley, none of those guys without Reckless Youth. Reckless um, Youth started with me, by the way, in TCW. So I used to go to all your shows, Angel. I was there. I know. Was, you know, we would go to the little gyms yes. and the the Yar and and Ray. You know, yes. oh man, original. Oh. Yeah. They're, They're both gone, aren't they? They were listen, Tommy. Yeah, how great of an era was it for all of us? You know, like uh, we got along. It was yeah. just a different era, and we all knew Gino, so we all had a laugh. You know, every. Yeah. But, uh, I, I mean, working with guys, man. There was so many guys I loved. My favorite era was when I did a JCW versus ECW angle, and I had Little Guido, another you know, another amazing guy, um, Guido, Steve Carino. Um, what was Taz's cousin? I'm drawing a blank right now. Um, oh, okay. Chris, Chris Chetty. Chetty would come in for me all the time. Nova would work shows. And, and it was just a great era. Those guys were all humble, you know? Stevie Richards, the Blue Meanie, all great people. And then, you know, like I said, I was disappointed a couple times. I was always disappointed with Flair. I never had a good experience with Flair. Um, there was a couple others, but it wasn't even worth it. Honky Tonk Man fucked me one day. I took him on a three. I booked him on a three-day tour. Two with uh, Joe Panzerino, and then the third was supposed to be with me. So I'm chauffeuring this guy around all over the place, and then Joe whispers in his ear, "He's not going to pay you on Sunday. You should leave." And I got a sold-out crowd, and he he took off to the airport and, and stiffed me. Oh, uh, but thank God, Ricky Steamboat, another guy who I absolutely loved to death, was there and just said, "I'm here. I'll, I'll just take his spot. I'm I'm a better wrestler than he ever was anyway." And Ricky went in and refereed a match. And, and did a free autograph signing, and it was amazing, you know. Uh, one guy I don't like at all, and Angel, you're going to pop. I fucking can't stand the smelly bastard, is Mick Foley. Ah! <laughs> Me neither. Can't I, stand it myself. I've had and I didn't Mick, even know half the stuff I found out later, and I still didn't like him. He, he would come to shows, and he always was entitled. I don't know why. Like, you know, before he was a megastar, and then when after he was, he always just treated everybody but what set me off with Mick was when he became a millionaire and he's a, he's worth a lot of fucking money and he had a surgery and he did a, um, one of those fundraisers online and made the fans pay for his surgery. Right. Real scumbag move. Right? People are stupid. Tommy, I wouldn't give a dime. I went 15, 18 months. Uh, I don't know if you could see the scars on my arm. 
But I was in a tornado down here in Tennessee, and I got pinned under a tree, broke off, and snapped my arm at the elbow. I lost motion of my oh, arm sure. for two years. Surgery was botched. I couldn't use my arm. I was basically Bob Dole. My fingers were like this. And I am in a state called IOD, injured on duty. And you only get $125 a week in the state of Tennessee. There's no workman's compensation. So I lost my life savings. Meanwhile, my arm's like this. I couldn't work, couldn't support my family. I'm eating off a dollar menu down here to try to survive. And here's a multimillionaire getting fucking fans to pay for his surgery because he doesn't want to spend his own fucking money. Unbelievable. It's kind of equivalent to how he would have sex with a teenager and then work for Rain, an incest organization. So, you know, he kind of like, he's a hypocrite like that. Angel, I know you on a personal level going on since 1994. And if you told me anything, I would believe you. And I mean that. I've always stood by you whenever you put posts up. I I shit on them, you know, for, for what they've done and whatever happened. And it's none of my business to bring up. And I don't mean to say it, but, you know, I got your back. Seriously, I'm I've nobody. never been known as a liar, Ricky. You know no, me. And no, I know you very well. You know, and, that. <laughs> I know I've seen a side of this business that I can't unlive. Tommy, my daughter's 16 years old. Okay, she looked older, right? But she's 16, and we're at a show. My other daughter's only 12. And we're walking by the Both gorgeous, by the way. Both gorgeous. I've seen them. Thank you. And we're walking by the, she's walking by the ring putting programs on chairs. And Vader looks at her and goes, what a fucking ass on that little blonde. So my 12-year-old, who's fairly, Tommy, you would love her. She's not afraid of fucking nobody. Goes up to him right in his face and goes, listen, you smelly fuck. She's 16, and I'm 12, and I'll fucking stab you. Right to oh the my God. <laughs> And he goes, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And she goes, you want to know what else? My father's paying you tonight, and he should throw you out of the building. Good for her. Wow. And I turned around, and I said, Girls, I love you to death, but tonight was the night, last show ever for you. You'll never come back, and it's nothing you did, but I can't let you near the building. Right. This is how these wrestlers are. I mean, mean, still today, they're getting caught doing these things. So what's to not believe about a story uh, like you just told us about Manny? We were both shocked by that. But that's the old wrestler, the NWA mentality of, like, we could just do whatever we want. However old they are, we don't care. We could do whatever we want sort of thing. And you can't bring your children around them. Personally, when I promoted shows, I dressed my daughter like a boy. So that just so that even the younger boys who were around wouldn't go near, you know, just as a precaution. Because you you can't trust them. You never could, and you still can't. Listen, Well, you know, that's where my whole thing, excuse me, Ricky, um, that I talked about after we discussed what went on under my nose. And if you knew me at that time, you knew that I don't care who was in that locker room. There was nobody who was confident that if it was a one-on-one that they could handle it. They knew. I know. I know and it. that's I mean, why they kept it. It was happening to her right under my nose. And they were able to. That's how hard they had to work to keep it from me. Business, right? That's this business. Yep. I saw Jim Cornette in... Um, Garfield Boys and Girls Club at an autograph signing. This woman walks up to him and hands him an album. And in the album is all hardcore porn photos of her, right? And he goes, who the fuck are you? And she goes, I'm not going to say her wrestling name. I'm going to say her shoot name. And you know it and you know it. And he goes, hi, I'm Donna. And he goes, oh. And she says, yeah, I worked a little bit in a certain company we're used to work. 
and I want to get in WWE. How do you get me there? I'll do anything to get there. And I'm like saying to myself, like, it is really, there's people who put themselves in that position. And then there's people who, unfortunately, like you, were put into a position like that. Yeah. And that's where it gets a bad name because certain women fucking suck everybody off to get some places. And then other women were treated like garbage because of the reputation of people before them. You know, See, but Donna was all of age and more probably Tommy's age than around mine. Right. And she approached it like that. Then that's what she was looking for, whereas I wasn't. But, uh, you know, with her training, uh, being from like Mola and people like that, I'm surprised that she would have to even behave like that. I made get- a lot of money with her. And let me tell you how. Yeah, I'm she sure you pitched. She I mean, was a featured dancer somewhere, right? Right. And she used to have this guy come in every weekend and... They would disappear to a corner, like behind closed doors. And I'm saying, I know she's not doing that, but we're thinking. And then finally, one week, she comes up to me and she goes, you're wondering what I'm doing back there, aren't you? And I was running the bar. And I said, yeah, what the fuck are you doing? You know? And she goes, tonight, when he comes in, you come with me and I'll take care of you. And I said, all right. So it was a dude who would go back there. He's probably in his 50s, 60s. And he would spread his legs as wide as he could. And she would take a two-step drop and kick him in the nuts as hard as she could, and he would hand her a thousand dollars. And every oh weekend, my god, where is this guy? I know guys <laughs> like this actually. I used to run a business based off of doing this. Yeah, yeah. and but she no. she hands me like two hundred dollars, and she goes, "Just make sure there's no rumors about me about anything else. That's all I'm doing back here." Yeah, well, I'll, I'll I'll tell you a rumor that I did hear about her is that she. Uh, was single-handedly was funding uh, the end of ECW's days with you know some work she did. So really? it's a shame that she would even have to put herself right. through the humiliation of going up to Cornette and being like, "Oh, here's me nude." Like she, she doesn't have to do that. Right. Yeah. Well, my idea was I would take myself and I would start. This would be my my way to do things to get the ball rolling. I would take somebody with me that I could train. And I would say, let's go to the biggest show that we can go to in an area. We'll go to the Spectrum. And we'll drive around until we find that door that we know exists in every place that there's a show where the boys are going out, doing their thing, and what? There's a couple of young girls are hanging around, and they're talking, and this is how it starts. This is how the um, grooming starts of these girls at a young age. we got to see them at the next show. Where are you going? Oh, we're going to be here in such and such a day. Oh, okay. And next thing you know, it's a couple of years go by, and now they figure the girls is a little bit more seasoned. Now they bring her into one of the rooms. This is how it all starts. If you had guys that knew what they were doing and could pose as people that you know rent the tables, that selling merchandise, selling pictures, whatever, and then get to know, like I could do it because I could get in and out of these locker rooms just selling uh, t-shirts or uh, being there to speak, talk to the guys, whatever. If it's not me, it could be any number of people. And that's you start to get that well. It's Tommy, been like that. You're talking about a coalition here, but it's been like that forever. That's the answer. Well, that doesn't matter. It's been like that. Somebody else's daughter is now in that realm. Or, or if you want to go the other way, there's a promoter up in North Jersey who is gone now. Thank God. It was young boys, of and he course, would call yeah. in, and you know he'd call in sexual favors on these young boys, and it got around and. There was also a situation where he was trying to sign guys to contracts saying, I trained you, I get 20% of all your earnings. And he was, I can't put the person out, but it's a very famous WWF 
legend. Actually, I'm going to put it this way. You'll figure it out. WCW superstar who's still active now in the WWE every once in a while on big shows. But he was putting them over behind the scenes, and nobody knew the other guy was bisexual. And he was trying to hold up boys to make private videos for him. And there was a situation one night where we were at competition. He was another one of these poster rippers, and he thought he was a badass dude. You know, he came from the radio industry and on the Jersey Shore, Angel. You know who I'm talking about. I do. And we went to a, every Friday night on uh, Route 17 in Hasbro Heights. There was a Friday's. Tom, you know it well, right on yep. Route 17. And me and my boys, my original crew, Dave Greco and the Hit Squad, we would go every single Friday night, meet at 7 o'clock, and close the place down. And we wouldn't do anything. We'd drink, we'd eat chicken wings, watch wrestling or TV or whatever. And at one time, when our TV show was on, it was only on, it was available in East Rutherford and Lyndhurst, but it wasn't available in Heights. So we'd go and watch the JCW TV show. And my friend comes inside and goes, hey, that guy that you don't like, that promoter from West Patterson, he's in the car with a guy getting a blowjob right now. And I go, what? And we walked outside and we surrounded his car and a couple of us just punched his windows and he jumped up and the head popped up and it was one of his fucking guys that was working. And we grabbed the guy, we whipped him out of his car. We're like, listen, first of all, there's families 20 feet away. Don't do that here. You're a fucking wrestler. We get thrown out of this place because of you. We're going to fucking kill you. Second thing, you don't move to the kid that was doing it. I want to talk to you. And the other guy got in the car. and He's like, you have no right to touch me. He's like, whatever happens in my life, get out. Just leave. And then we made the kid stay. And we said, I'm going to ask you one question. Are you training at that guy's school? And he said, yes, sir, I am. And I said, did he make you do that? And the kid started to cry. And he said, I've never done it before. I don't know what happened. I got nervous. He was telling me he could make my career. He can do this and that. And we just talked to the kid and said, look, you're gay. Nobody cares. You know, we don't care. You know, you're straight, you're gay, whatever. But if he forced that on you, we're going to go fucking kill this guy. And he said, please don't, please don't. And I can't put that person's name out because he went on to be a pretty big star for uh, Jimmy Kettner. And that kid's father was all mobbed up. And his dad came to me one day and said, we're going there and we're going to bust this guy's head. He goes, and what you did for my son, I'll never, I can never thank you enough. He's like, but I'm going to go kill this fucking guy. I'm like, listen, don't kill him because everybody's going to know it was you. But if you want to go to a school, go bust this fucking ring up or something. You know, do something. He went there with a chainsaw, Tommy. He cut the lock off the door and he cut all his ropes with a chainsaw. Where was the school? West Patterson. I guess yeah, there's a lot of scumbags. I'll tell you off here. Yeah. yeah. We won't get into like names specifically. I don't want to get a suit, but stories like this that exist in this business that you yeah. know people just refuse to believe the things that we we have all seen in the business and some things that we've even went through. So uh, you know, bravo to your daughter for catching on to that. Yeah. Wow. She was nuts, the kid. The kid's nuts. She's uh she's 19 now. They're both in college. One's in education and the other one wants to be a social worker. Thank God they were nowhere near the business. But my daughter at 10 years old was running my ring crew. She could put a full 18 by 18 high spots ring together by herself. And I, you know, when it started getting to a point where she started getting in and doing flips and guys were like, oh, let me show her this. I was like, nope, you're going home. You're yeah, done. once they asked to start putting their hands on Don't her. touch my kick because I'll murder you. Exactly. So we're going to get to uh, your Facebook 
and just go through, uh, well, actually some pictures that you sent me. So okay. it's not technically Facebook. That's the wrong screen. I don't want that one. Excuse me while I find a screen, gentlemen. Sure. Uh, let me get this. Uh, this yeah, it's funny because ever since you, there we, go. we got you on, I, uh, my mind was racing. I'm thinking of so many different things. It branches out in so many different ways. It's crazy. Yeah. I remember when I left that place, uh, that was a racquetball court that we racquetball had. Racquetball court, yep. And they put a – you get in the racquetball court and you look up. There's a stairway going up. To, they made an exit out of the racquetball court. I'm like, what the hell? That was a weird place. There was some oh, guy – Remember the ceiling, man? Remember yeah, ceiling, there was a guy man? living in the ceiling, remember? <laughs> oh, my God. Angel, in his gym – where he had his wrestling ring. It was a full gym, like a, a total 80s gym. It looked like something out of a bad old movie, and it had yeah. racquetball courts. Well, at night, we would be missing food. People's lockers would be broken into, and people would hear things in the ceiling. And then finally, a woman, they put tanning beds in. And as the women would be tanning, the, sand, the, the tile would move, and there would be a face. There was like a crawl space about eight inches. Well, not a crawl space, but a walking attic over the gym, and this homeless guy broke in and was living in the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's very comforting. Yeah, it was yeah. feeling, man. And we all knew he was there, you know. While you're doing your business. Great. So here we have uh, some pictures that you, you sent to me that uh, we we wanted to highlight. As, that was the afternoon uh, of that event with Dusty and Flair. That was before, two hours before that incident took place. That was that, that, was that afternoon. So all right, that's that one there. And here goes a shot of – who's that there? That was when we – the NWA had a TV show pilot for MTV, and they have the two guys around me were the actual announcers, and then they brought me in as the loudmouth New Jersey color commentator. Uh, you see everybody's in a suit. They put me in a Tony Soprano shirt because they wanted me to talk the Jersey accent. So that was a little pilot we did for MTV. We would film it in Vegas. And it was some pretty amazing wrestling. You know, I, I've talked bad about Dave Marquez, but Dave broke a lot of doors open for the NWA to keep the company alive, and, and this was one of the things he did. So what was the name of, of that show? Uh, go, and, and what happened that it actually just... It went on Mav TV for a couple of years, which was a um, like a satellite-based channel, and yeah. Dave had it on, and now it's Championship Wrestling Hollywood. And you know, he's, Oh, he's I've seen that. Yeah, that's him with the glasses. Yes. Yeah, now, wasn't he involved uh, in uh, Ring Warriors or whatever? Yes, all of that stuff. Okay. No, that was Howard Brody. He was in oh, – okay. Dave, Dave did the NWA thing for many years with Bob Trovich and stuff, and they robbed so many people that the NWA just finally kicked him out. Uh, then he opened his own thing, and he, he's out doing it now. And he was on the NWA with Billy Corrigan, and they fired him. So there's just a history with him. It's never beneficial to you. If you shake his hand, he's that guy. you got to count your fingers when you're done. To yeah. make sure they're still there, you know? Greasy. So uh, how do you feel about the Billy Corrigan taking over the NWA? It's awful. They tape here in Nashville. Um, the last tapings they had, there were 70 people in the building, which is what all he wanted. He wants a studio atmosphere. I brought 60 of them there for him. And when I went in the door, I went to introduce myself to a couple people that were there. Um, Titus was there, a good friend, great man. Rodney Mack, Jazz, all great people. And then a guy I broke into the business is Billy's right-hand man. 
And he walks out and he goes, I don't have time to even fucking say hello to you, man. He's like, don't even bother me right now. And I turned around and I go, bro, I put your whole crowd in this building. Uh, and he's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. We got him here. I got to go do something. And I went, you know what? Fuck, I'm done. I just walked out. Why I'm not involved. Done. So this photo yeah, is amazing shows, here. The show's terrible. Um, they don't even know how to uh, correct these guys. You got this uh, Tom Latimer. He's bent over waiting for his fool to get up on the top rope for what seemed like two minutes. Like, go back down to your knee. Like, you take a second breath. Like, do something. You can't just sit bent over waiting for this guy. The just, only thing on that show that's any good is Ricky Morton and this kid. Yeah. You know, when R Ricky's on and his kid's on. Um, Austin Idol should not be anywhere near a microphone. He's a fool. He's got something going on with the girl there. He's always making, like, creepy remarks that are very easy to see. And it's easy to see. It's not a shtick. It's probably, you know, his real feelings. And uh, he's creepy. He's got that stupid cap, glitter cap. It's over. Go behind the scenes and help out. We don't need to see you. On stage, Idolmania. You're talking 40 years ago, bro. Come on. Listen, if they, uh, all I got to say about that is if they were any good, and I'm not knocking the talent there. It's not the talent's fault. It's Billy, you know, he's got nobody around him telling him this is bad. Um, have the brain for it. If they were any good, Tony Khan would be working with them somehow. Because Tony's yeah. such a mark that he'd want to say, I got the NWA too. I got Ring of Honor. That guy, that's a whole other story. We'll get into oh, him later. Yeah. Well, he's another case. People would say, I don't understand. Why is Vince doing that? It's not good for business. You don't understand because Vince didn't always care about what was good for business. He cared about what got him off, what right. what excited him, what manipulation and strings he could pull. Same thing, Tony Khan. You got the biggest brain trust ever assembled backstage that could produce the best ever pro wrestling, at least that we've seen in many, many years. But well, why isn't that happening? Because Tony Khan wants to put his – I turn on the TV to finally watch it. They got some 150-pound mask kid who's not like a, a relative of any famous mask guy. Just some 150-pound guy with a crappy outfit on. Why is he on? Why is he on TV when he got all this talent sitting in the back? Because he's Tommy, playing out his little game. Oh, that's my guy. I want to put him in. When, when they first started, they could have been the next revolutionary company like you guys were. They could have been the new ECW. Yeah. And on my show, you can go back and watch. Three months ago, I said, I've just seen a bad thing on AEW tonight, and I'm going to predict something. And my buddy was like, what are you talking about? Tony Khan is making the show about him. Every week it was Tony Khan next week with a gigantic announcement. Tony Khan's big statement. Tony Khan's new signing. It wasn't about I've got Steven Regal, uh, Tully Blanchard, Arn Anderson back there. Brain trust, like Tommy right. said. Brock Anderson is a if he Brock Anderson was with Vince, he'd be a rocket up his ass right now, being a megastar. He's never on TV. Every when an owner starts putting himself on for ten or twelve minutes a week, taken away from four guys who could have did two six minute matches and been over on TV, it's going downhill. When a yeah. company takes themselves, I caught myself doing it. I got the in the mid thing in JCW, which was a bullshit company, little local company. I got the fever. I'm like, I got to be in front of the camera. I got to do the, no, then I realized like, bro, you look like a fool. Go back <laughs> where you were, do your writing and get people out in front of the camera that know what the fuck they're doing. Make stars out of somebody else. Cause I'm not going to do this business full time, but every week it's my next big announcement. I bought this. I did. Everything is I mine and I with him. And that's when I started going, I can't watch this anymore. This is bad. And then I heard about the releases where they let guys like Joey Janela go and they never even called them. 
It was, we're just not, you know, and then after his contract was over, somebody reached out and was like, bro, you're over. We don't want you here anymore. You know what? And that's probably the best talent that they had there. So, uh, I mean, they're lost. Seriously. Joey Janela, and this is a compliment, Joey, when you hear this. You were a half-wit, dumb fuck, Jersey Shore, drunken maniac who took your life by the balls, made a name for yourself, went overseas, took a company under my guidance, JCW, then GCW, and put a rocket on it, shot it up his ass, and is one of the biggest names in this business for the last three years. And this was a guy who would go to Jersey Shore at Martell's and be passed out on the beach and didn't know what was going on. And he got on national TV, John Moxley and him, tore the house down on AEW. Absolutely fucking amazing matches. Every year he does this spring break thing with GCW, draws thousands and thousands of people and buy rates the whole nine yards. And Tony Khan don't know what to do with him, so he lets him go. It's it's just it's a waste. It's sad. It's really okay. sad. Because it's out of time. Joey Janela's moved on. He's in Japan right now, so he doesn't yeah. need Tony Khan or anything. You know, right. he's going still- to Alaska. You know, another guy, right. who's a gigantic guy, and I'm going to put him over right now. And I don't know why anybody's not using him. I know we had a falling out with Billy Demont years ago in Ohio Valley, but Kevin Matthews, it, 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 the guy's six foot something. He's built like an Adonis. They put him on TV, and he's he goes to AEW, and he's jobbing out the guys that are five foot seven, one hundred and twenty pounds. Like this guy, you're looking for monsters in this business. You don't want the five foot seven guy when you're a fan. You want the six foot four guy to kill somebody. That's why this Wardlow guy is so over. That's why you know Hulkamania existed because everybody looked at Hogan and said, "If that guy wanted to bang my wife, I'd have to let him because he'd kill me." You know. <laughs> You so what's the difference between, uh, you know, the, the vintage wrestling that we remember first seeing as wrestling fans that got us attracted to it? And there's a difference between those guys, like, the, you know, the Harley races and the Bruno San Martinos and guys like that. And then the guys who you're seeing now who Bruno San Martino would floss his freaking teeth with. You know right. what I mean? Oh, like, never mind him. What about Harley Race? Harley Race would have killed that whole locker room with one arm. Yeah, and and the thing is, with both hands tied behind his back, he could wrestle them, you know, sixty minutes with his legs and still win. You know, it, it, and you don't see guys like this anymore because there's a lot of people being pushed out there that are like, what are they, actors or models, or that are being trained spot for spot for what people want to see on TV, look, look so at, that they can get their load off. Like, I, I don't, I, I can't even watch it. I can't even watch. Look, look at oh. Vince. With NXT for years, right? The developmental, everyone was six one to six three. Exactly. Everyone wore the same exact trunks. Everyone was built exactly the same. It was almost like he just took a cookie cutter and made fifty thousand people. That's why, up. in the very name of developmental, tells you that it's less than or suggests that it's less than. How about you just make territories again that feed the big company? Because when you call it developmental, people already have this stigma. And actually, it was better than anything that the regular roster was doing. A friend of yours, Tommy Dreamer, for a little while, was in charge of WWE talent, right? And I was running Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania. Marquez had Hollywood, Texas, and Las Vegas. And we were going into some southern states when we were all together with the NWA. And we pitched this idea. This was before they ever had, you know, an NXT Florida. And we said, listen, we could run four shows a week nationally we could start in jersey go to new york take them down to florida go across to texas up to hollywood and then go across you know and stop in the middle somewhere and we could do this four to six nights a week we have the we have the rings we have the power we have a tv channel everything we proposed the whole thing and tommy listened he said 
this is actually not a bad idea. It's almost like having our own minor league territory. I'm going to pitch it to the people above. He calls us back the next day and goes, Jim Ross shit all over it. He hates it. He told you guys don't fall asleep. They didn't want well, what they wanted. They you want to be a monopoly, but you see what the monopoly has done to the industry. Now you would be stupid if you were out there to even want to go to either company when you could write your own ticket. Basically, you could work almost anywhere overseas. You could have a good career without having that crazy schedule and being under the thumb of being exactly what they tell you to be instead of what you would like to be or have an idea. Let me try this. You know, this old school mentality is just some of it's good, some of it's bad, but just swashing the territories was the biggest mistake that they ever made. It took 30 years for it to come around, but look what it's been now. Now you got one group that's uh, trying to be a number one group that will never, never make it. They're actually killing a business even further. Now, Triple H is in charge. What's he going to do? Is he going to do anything? I mean, is he going to make a change? Actually, I, I, from what I understand, maybe Triple H is in, in, in charge of AEW, but Mick Foley is now taking the position of Vince McMahon in WWE. That's from what I understand. That's what's going down. Listen, AEW's got CM Punk and Brian Danielson. Enough said. They, those two guys. Now, listen. Neither one of them is gigantic, but they're both amazing talents, right? I'll give credit where credit's due. Punk was the first guy to go out and expose Vince. National TV didn't listen to what they wanted to say. Rebelled hard. Now, if you look at this photo here, this is me, Tommy Fierro, Danny Inferno, AJ Styles. Brian Danielson, Coke Cabana, and a kid named Dave Greco. What's great about that photo was Punk missed this plane, but he should have been in that picture also. I was the first person to ever use Punk or Daniel Bryan outside of their hometown. That's AJ Styles at like 18 years old. Wow. There's Joey Janela with, with Scott Hall and X-Pac as my world tag champions. There's me with the ultimate legend in the whole world, Terry Funk. I mean, I can't wish for – Terry Funk, Angel, comes to one of my shows, and we got a packed house. And he was supposed to just be there to sign autographs and go out in front of the crowd and wave. And um, in the middle of the main event, the heel was kicking the shit out of my champion. And Tommy uh, Terry keeps going, your champion's not making any comeback. He's not making any comeback. He's not making it believable. He's just getting beat up. Terry gets up and just grabs the garbage can and just starts smashing the heel in the head and goes out and works like 17 fucking spots with this kid. The crowd's going crazy because here's Funk doing everything except a moonsault. He's hitting all his vintage elbows. He's doing the spinning cold. And he comes back to the locker room and he goes, Mr. Ricky, I want to apologize. And I go, for what? And he said, I went off script. You didn't give me permission to do that. I go, Mr. Funk, I don't care if you murdered somebody tonight, man. What you just <laughs> did was the greatest thing in my career as a promoter. Like you just completely made everybody's here night. You know what I mean? And Terry was funny story he gets off the plane it's midnight he comes in from amarillo we're into newark airport tommy he's on the last flight of the night and we get there me and my friend and we're like mr funk what's the matter and he's like god damn it i can't find my bag and i'm like what he's like my bag is gone i think i lost my bag and i go oh terry what color was it he goes it's red and it's got a, a, a white tag that says funk on it so we're going around every carousel looking for his luggage, half hour, 40 minutes. He's like, guys, well, my T-shirts are in there. He's getting sad. So one of the agents goes, uh, can I help you guys? And I go, he's missing his bag. He goes, okay, come with me to Lost and Found, and we'll see if it's there. We walk in the door, and there's a black suitcase 
with a red tag on it, and it says Funk. And he goes, is this your bag? And Terry goes, that's my bag. And he goes, red, black, at 70 years old, I'm fucking colorblind. You're lucky I got on the plane. (laughs) (laughs) Terry's great people. He's one of the greatest, nicest, kindest people I've ever met in this business. And I'll say this the day I die. Agreed. I worked with everybody from Hogan all the way down. No one ever gave me goosebumps like it was to work with him. He was just a gentleman, a class act, and a nicest person I ever met. A consummate professional. If my, my, any- wife lo- my wife loved him, and he would get cigarettes from her. I don't know. she Some cigarette uh, had nine names to it. Slims or whatever. And he would take the filter and rip it off and smoke it. And the one night I'll never forget, he was under the the infamous night he was under the truck, under the ring truck that was parked inside the ECW arena. He got under there, and I don't know, temporarily, I think he kind of lost it a little bit. But anyway, he walked out in his socks. So everybody left the locker room. I look over, and he had those boots with the stripes on them. They, they looked like Adidas stripes. They were cowboy boot pull-ons. He had them forever. And I see him sitting there. I'm like, he freaking left without his boots? So I go to the hotel. I knock on his door. I said, he goes, who is it? I said, it's Tommy Cairo. I, he opens the door, and that's the first time I've ever seen him, like, not naked, but in, like, just shorts. And his knees were, like, had growths on him. They're horrible looking. Knocked me. I go, I got your boots. He goes, how is it that you come to have my boots? I said, you left them at the fucking arena. Didn't you realize when you walked out onto the dirty street in nasty Philadelphia, you didn't, you didn't have your boots? So I think that night he might have went off his rocker a little bit because even Hawk, was like he won't come out from under there. I don't know what he's doing. He was. You never knew. You just never knew whether it was a, a rib or if he was right. just like slightly losing it. And um, I, I hope was, he's doing good. I was watching a, a match the other day, Ricky. You'll appreciate this. Uh, it, it was Hawk, uh, Road Warrior Hawk, uh, against Terry Funk, and he was managed by Dennis Carluzzo. Right. Just, uh, you you remember that show? Absolutely. Real crazy. And then Oliver Humperdinck, uh, you know, took over when when Dennis took the big bump, and you know, friggin' Funk just took it all through the crowd before Hawk even came out. He ran up on the every section of the bleachers and was just like in every fan's face from you know up and down until Hawk came out, and then they went all around the building. It was probably one of the better matches of the '90s independent shows, you know, before. All the problems right. with the NWA started happening. Dennis ran the best shows. If anyone ever had those tapes, man, they'd be rich right now. But him and, and Funk and Stan Hansen and Harley and all those people on those shows. And Angel, do you remember when, um, I don't know if you remember this or if it was public knowledge. Do you remember when Terry and Dennis got together and they pitched ESPN, an hour-long show, and they got to like the third stages of it could if Dennis got that contract, it was right before Todd got ECW on TV. Right, it could have been the Sports Channel, right before yes. the Sports Channel deal. Yes. Right. It could have been Dennis and Terry doing that, and it would have maybe changed the face of wrestling because Terry was really into it and did all of the, you know, the writing and the and, and the booking of it. And it, I have one of the original masters somewhere in New Jersey of what they presented, and it was amazing, you know. And, yeah, and unlike Paul, Terry, uh, they like Dennis like both of us, so. We would have been we would have been in good shape yeah. because I would I still wonder to this day why I should have got a hold of Terry and had him maybe but he didn't stay long right I mean I'm, he stayed a couple years after but not that he didn't stay the whole to the end of ECW I don't think no no he was gone 
They brought Dusty in for a while back then, too, if you remember. Yeah, I do remember that. Right. Here's you and uh, Road Warrior Animal. This was before or after the $5,000 demand. This is um, Animal saw Dusty uh, there. And like I said, he was the godfather. He got up, left the table he was at, and came over, and everybody spent time with the big dust that day, man. It was it was so nice to see how much respect is actually in the business behind the scenes for certain people. And, and yeah. I don't think anybody in the world can say that Dusty wasn't one of the top three most respected ever. Yeah, I think it resonated with the fans so much because I looked at him like he truly was, like the son of a plumber, like a regular guy. Yeah. And that's what attracted me to Manny and Fernandez in the beginning, if you remember, he used to use the name uh, the working class hero. So I, I, that's what stuck out in my mind. Here's a, a regular guy. He's not worried about a physique. He doesn't need a physique. And uh, he works 60-minute matches with that body. That's amazing. Right. So here's some pictures of you and the Iron Sheik from uh, 1986 and then again to 2016. Right. Big, that was Carmine DeSpirito's show in Asbury Park, if you remember Carmine. Oh, sure. Carmine's one of my besties. I love Carmine. I love Carmine. And, and that was on the pier at Asbury Park, and that's the first night I met the Sheik. I'm, I'm 16 years old in that picture. And, wow. Um, then the other one was at a convention when I brought Sheik into New York for a convention. And I still, every once in a while, I'll pick up the phone and I'll call Sheik's house. And sometimes he doesn't answer, sometimes he does. But I just tell him I love him, I hope he's healthy, and I always try to keep in touch with him because – one, everybody has a chic story. We all have great stories. <laughs> but if you know Kozlov as a human being, what happened with him and his family is what caused him to go off the deep end, you know, with his daughter. And that's a horrible oh, yeah. story. And if you've never seen the documentary Sheik, so you, you got to go watch it to understand. Yeah. Right. But right. He For is sure. just a great human being and an amazing. People don't realize they know the Iron Sheik, but the athlete he was before that in the Pan Am Games and the U.S. Olympic sure. wrestling coach and everything, he – He's an amazing man, and, you know, I, I love him. He's a great person. I had, I had some good times with him. Was this one of your shows here? Is This, this was one of my shows when I was working, and uh, that's Danny Moff of the Hit Squad, who um, independent tag team, the Hit Squad, Danny Moff, and uh, Monster Mac started in JAP. The most money I have ever made in wrestling was with these guys headlining. Um, just a couple of local badasses who got over with every single crowd I ever had them in. I always teased them that they were the New Jersey version of the Road Warriors, and that's the picture. If you see in the middle of my forehead there, that giant blood <clears throat> bubble, that was where I was going to gig, and Danny hit me with the chair. And uh, went straight into my head, and the blade got stuck. Uh, you could have died. <laughs> it was great. It was. I mean, it was a lot of – that's where the lady puked and passed out. He also hit me with the hardest chair shot I've ever been hit in my entire life in my back. He broke two of my ribs from the back. Wow. And, uh, that was, that was a, it was a fun night, but, man, it was painful. Awful. If you don't make people throw up uh, or you vomit when you gig, then you haven't done your job. Yeah, so good job, job, Ricky. Good yeah. job. And here we have our old friend, Gina Moore. Oh, my God. I had to Look put that, that in there. This is not, unfortunately, the picture of him with the world title belt that he says he beat Andre the Giant in American <laughs> Hall, and then it was Sumo Hall, and how many stories? Oh. And then it was Harley Race oh. once, too. He oh, yeah, of course. Gino well, you know was... the video. Joey Janela found the video about three years ago of Gino actually working WWF yeah, oh, no, he did. He yeah. actually did work at the Spectrum. I mean, he had articles and, you right. know, Films to prove it, but uh, I remember Dennis. Do you remember 
Angel or Tommy, because Tommy, you were big when uh, Dennis then. Do you remember when Dennis got the show for one week on the Philadelphia Z100 morning show? He was going to have a wrestling talk show, and Mark got thrown off the air because he brought his kid in, and he had Mark act as if he was Lord Littlebrook, and it was the week that Roseanne Barr did the chop during the national anthem to her crotch. And Mark goes on the show and he's like, I'm Lord Littlebrook. And the only thing that insulted me about Roseanne Barr was that I couldn't eat her pussy. And I want to go down on Roseanne Barr. And he's on fucking Z100 in Philadelphia. And and they pulled us off the air in like 10 minutes. So I was supposed to stay with Dennis. And Dennis got a lot of heat from the station. He goes, drive back with Gino right now. He's like, so Gino's like, well, go to my house, brother. And I was like, dude, I don't want to be in this guy's house. Like, I was creeped the fuck out. But you walk in, and there's that painting. Too bad there wasn't oh, cell yeah. phone back in the day. There's yes, that painting. On the wall of him with the championship strap. And he's like this. And then he goes, well, it's Sunday, and usually I'm asleep by now, brother. So there's a room upstairs to the left. It's the guest room. It's got a TV and whatever. I'm going back to bed. I don't want to be in this guy's house. So I go upstairs. I shut the door, and... I put the TV on and I'm just hanging out waiting for Dennis to, at the time page me with a beeper that he's coming to get me. And all of a sudden I'm sitting there and I'm like, Oh, wrestling magazine, wrestling magazine. And I'm like, Oh, I'll read them. And I got to the third one. It was like 7,500 bondage magazines. And I'm oh just like, oh. <laughs> yeah, Gino is so shady. Do you remember when Ratchet and Donnie got all the rainbow flag stickers and they, they uh, covered his entire van and it wasn't an inch of the van that wasn't covered with gay pride stickers wow. on Gino's van. It was so. Was it true about Rick Ratchet? Was that because I heard he got caught a couple times in the locker room? I I don't know. I'm not saying yeah. nothing. Pizza. No, I, I I didn't want you. To, I just isn't he married? To I don't know. Man? I mean, I'm not saying somebody else that was very somebody else too that was in that crew that I, I is married and I always believed or heard that you know he was a, one of the boys. So I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? There's or the one of the girls. Well, what, what have you? Everyone's yeah. got their secrets, and we could probably bring the whole business down with all this Tommy. shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> However, one last question, Ricky. Uh, now, I, I want to do like a, a little top five with you here. Okay. So, your favorite wrestler of all time, number one. Um, there's two. There, there. I can do my Mount Rushmore really fast. Now, now, wrestler. Mal, Mal first. The Road Warriors were absolutely my. As a kid, they were. I was a mark for them huge. So okay, the Road singular, Warriors, singular. singular. We're okay, going to get the tag team in a minute. Okay, single wrestler of all time. Um, you're going to laugh, but it, it was Dusty. You know, it was Dusty was the man. You know. Yeah, I would put him on, on my list. Yeah. That was a lot for people. Yeah. Uh, how about a uh, favorite female wrestler of all time? Uh, favorite female. That's a good question. Um. Man, I got to really think about that one. Go to tag teams. I'll go back to the female. Okay. Favorite tag team of all time. The Road Warriors, bar none. Bar none. Like, they're, they innovated this business. If anybody doesn't say anything different, they're, they're just talking out of their ass. They, exactly. Those guys re- revolutionized tag team wrestling. Absolutely. Those to prove you don't have to be this technical, you know, per- perfection. And when you're that big and that bad, it don't matter. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Favorite promotion of all time? Um. I would say the NWA for sure. Old school. Uh, I remember today, October 11th, 1981, I got cable TV, and literally the first channel was Superstation 16 that worked. 
and it was Tommy Rich holding a cage with a pig and a rabbit, and he was calling Ole Anderson a pig and Stan Hansen a rabbit, saying that you guys run for me every chance I get, and this week in Chattanooga, Tennessee, I'm going to kick pig face and rabbit's butt, and it was Gordon Soley, and it wasn't like the Vince McMahon standing at a podium and then a squash match. Like, every match was amazing. And I was never missed another Saturday afternoon at 6.05 for like 20 years. So the NWA for sure. Love it. And last one, uh, what was your favorite big event, like pay-per-view of all time? The first ECW pay-per-view, absolutely. Far oh. none. It was the best ever. Um, it was revolutionary to me to watch a promotion that I felt that came from, you know, literally a bar room. You know, the old Sports Channel show was filmed in high schools in a bar. And then you have Terry Funk main eventing in a, um, you know, a national pay-per-view. And it was breathtaking to watch as a fan. You know, I, I had a mark moment. I watched it as a fan. And it was the best I've ever seen. And female wrestler, my favorite of all time, I would have to probably go with somebody like Misty Blue Sims or Cat LaRue, people that I grew up watching as a kid um, on shows like Tommy shows or, you know, local independent shows in New Jersey. And, and it was just fun to watch people like that. Okay. Tommy, do you have any uh, final questions for our... No, I was going to say, female, I just thought an Iron Sheik when he said, fuck the moolah. (laughs) 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 Ben D's Victor liked the medicine, because the hammer liked the medicine, the Sheik liked the medicine. Fuck the moolah. Can I tell a quick quick Iron Sheik story? Absolutely. Okay, so we're at the Captain Lou Albano retirement dinner in Poughkeepsie, New York, right? And... um, I have a friend of mine who's not in the business, but, you know, huge wrestling fan. So I took him as my, my plus one to the event. And, you know, everybody's there. Morocco, Snuka, Backlund, Sheik. Everybody who ever dealt with Albano is there to pay respect. And Sheik, about halfway through the dinner, starts flipping out that there's no more Coke, Baba. There's no Coke for Sheiky. There's no fucking Coke. And he just kept saying Coke. So my buddy goes, Sheik, you need Coke? I could could take care of you. And my buddy's like five foot seven, just a little runt wrestling fan. So Sheik goes, you have the Coke? And my friend says, I'll I'll go get it for you. So he goes out to the car, the fucking idiot. We had a cooler for the ride full of soda. He thinks the Sheik is bitching that they ran out of Coke. And he hands the Sheik a six pack of Coke. You you make fun of fucking Sheik? Oh, motherfucker. And he flips that. Now we have to grab the sheik. He's going to kill my friend in the middle of this place. And my friend's like, what do you mean? What do you mean? And I'm like, Mike, you fucking idiot. He's looking for cocaine. He's like, he's an Olympic athlete. He wouldn't do drugs like that. I'm like, just get the fuck out of here. Just leave. Just go. Wow. All right. Well, we, we all got our sheik stories, and we, we know yeah. what it's all about. Uh, any well, Anything in closing that you'd like to say, Ricky, about – the current state of professional wrestling and, uh, you know, everything that's going on. I just think there's guys out there, you know, that I'm super proud of that maybe didn't work a lot for me and some did, but guys like Samoa Joe, who was a traditionalist, just an amazing, to this day, if he's on TV, I'll watch it. Uh, CM Punk, if he's on TV, I'll watch it. I, I didn't see Punk for 20 years. I ran into him in Nashville and he was ultra respectful to me. Great guy. Eddie Kingston is another guy I'm super freaking proud of. A young kid out of New York City who's main event on AEW was suicidal a couple months ago. Had a talk and publicly came out and said, I was going to kill myself, you know? And if anybody's ever feeling that way, here's my phone number. Here's my, you know, contact information. And the guy who saved his life was Homicide. He called his best friend Homicide. Homicide talked him off. 
So one thing I just want to say is, guys, everybody in this business is masculine or super feminine, whatever it is. It's a business. If you need help, don't be afraid to go and ask for it. There's so many people out in this world right now that have been down and out, me included. Thank God I'm still here. Thank God Tommy's here. Angel, what you've gone through. Thank yeah. God you've always chose the high road. If you need help, ask for it. That's the only thing I want to tell these young guys out there. And Tommy, you made a great point. They're out there mutilating themselves. They can't get a real job after. Guys, think about what you're doing. Be smart. Don't kill yourself in front of 40 people and, and end up not being able to get a real job or looking like a freak and missing an eye or something like that. You need help, ask for it. If you're not sure, contact one of the veteran guys out there. Tommy, I owe so much to you. Without you, I never entered this crazy business. I, I don't think you understand. Like I, I apologize. Now, I, listen, <laughs> what you did for my friend Chris, like I said, I almost broke down in the first five seconds of the show. I had tears in my eyes. There's such a good side to this business. I have a friend sitting over here to the left of me on the screen, Angel, that, you know, just over the years, I'd see her on the thing. I'd be like, you were my first ever crush in wrestling, and I love you. You were my, you know, you're such a great human being. You're always friends with me. How you doing? And I see her sometimes, you know, suffering with posts, and it breaks my fucking heart because this is one of the nicest people I ever met in my life. You know? At Iron Man, you're a legend in New Jersey. You know? Like, you, you, you're fucking powerlifting, super champion, world champion. There's so many great people. Hold on to that, guys. Don't let the scum influence you. If you have this dream, chase it. You can make it, especially nowadays. You don't need to be six foot four, five hundred pounds. You could be five eleven, one hundred and sixty. But that's a whole other story. Right. Just, just be safe. And 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 if you need help out there, guys, ask for it because there's so many good people out there that will take you under a wing, maybe talk to you. And, and to the guys out there, don't forget who the kids are. Don't turn people down for an autograph. Don't big shot them. Our business is so down right now. We're at the lowest period in the history of this business. And it's because we made it that way ourselves. We, we took the front row and put them in the ring. We, we need to get back to treating kids. Heels be a heel. Faces be the yep. super faces. Girls, take the pictures with the little boys. And, and, and just get this business back to where it was because it was great at one time. We can do it again. Well, I, I think that we have uh, spent – a, a good uh, amount of time talking about some really important things and some really fun stuff. Anyone who did not know uh, who you were before this show, Ricky, I think they have a good idea. Of they hate me now, right? And, and what position you've held in professional wrestling, the importance of, of it. And uh, you know, all the, the good times you've had, the bad times you've had, and you definitely have a lot of good advice for those who are up and coming. And uh, also for those who are out of the business. So yeah, I, I agree with you. If you need help, reach out good messages. Do you have uh, any social media outlets that you uh, would like for people to uh, contact you on. Yeah, I mean, on Facebook, obviously, it's my name, Ricky Otazu, O-T-A-Z-U. I do have my own project that I work on, and I'm planning on having the two of you guys on. It's called The Ricky O Show. Um, it's on 365 Sports. Uh, it's a, uh, Check that out. It's hundreds of former professional athletes that have their own podcast and talk shows. Um, I talk about a wide variety of things, but one of the things I love to do is vintage wrestling. I just had Jimmy Noonan on, the former head of security for the WWE. Um, you know, guys... Carmine's coming on. So maybe we can get all of us on and do a little New Jersey, yeah. Philadelphia thing. But uh, just reach out, Twitter, The Ricky O Show, Facebook, The Ricky O Show. I just, I'm a little behind that. And we always, you know, my big thing is, you know, I try to do a lot of money and donations for uh, kids' charities and stuff like that. I'm always donating stuff out here to like Little East. I have a sports memorabilia company. Uh, I'm really behind and, and, and get behind on doing a lot of good events. And that's really it. You know, I just, uh, I'm just a normal guy now. I work in a hotel. Uh, I, I'm an operations manager. I love my job. It's a nine-to-five position. I've got a beautiful, beautiful family. My girls are fucking gorgeous. 
and I just I just love life. And I just want to just continue. And if there's anybody I can ever talk to or help, just just hit me up. Yeah, you know, I gotta I gotta make a, a final statement. You know, um, things happen. People influence us. Um, in retrospect, you know, I, I may have said a couple of things that I, I I didn't really mean or I didn't know or understand the situation. But I'll say this: um, it really hits me in the heart when you remind me or some some of the first some of the things you said I've heard for the first time. So I want to say that we're all proud of you that in New Jersey, we have this like legacy of having some really, really tremendous talent over the years, going way back to when you mentioned uh, Pete Reeves, Pete Fregali, Dave Yohannan, the guys that brought me up in the business. And then, you know, you continued that. And I didn't even know to the extent of, you know, the, some of the work that you've done and been involved in. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that you did that much and that you were that involved. And I knew you were, but, Sometimes we get caught up on our own thing and we don't even know what else is going on right. around us. But uh, you've added that to the history of New Jersey and the business itself. You did a great job representing it the right way. You had the right respect. So uh, you need to be applauded for that. And I love you, bro. I'm sorry that uh, we had a couple little things, but it's the- we had, Tommy, we had 30 seconds. It wasn't even a thing. I mean, I yeah, never thought true. about it after that night. You know, that's when true. you put your post up on Facebook and I, I said all those things, that was from my heart. You're like, bro, I thought you were mad at me. I could never be mad at nah. you, bro. We're friends. Yeah, of course not. How's your but, wife, bro, real fast? How's she doing? She's doing good. I mean, you know, she's selling houses like it's going out of style. Me, I'm just trying to keep up. I'm right. trying to, you know, my son's 16. I'm, I'll be 65 in February. Right. You know, there's a big difference there. I apologized to him the other day. I'm sorry that I'm so old and broken down and you're only 16, but I'm doing the best I can. He said, that's all right, Dad. That's all you can do, man. And then I went and sat in the car for two hours at the skate park and watched him flip around. We're all just doing the best we can. And thank God we all have good memories of each other in this business, at least to keep us going. And uh, thank you so much for joining us, Ricky for this edition of Wrestling Rewind. And uh, please join us every week at 7 p.m. on Monty and the Pharaohs Network on YouTube for Wrestling Rewind. Uh, taking it back. Yes, taking it all the way back and, and giving you a lesson in wrestling history. Thank you so much for joining us, Ricky. Uh, we enjoyed having you. And I uh, hope it, maybe sometime you'll come back for a another edition. I maybe would love to. Report love or roundtable. Yeah, so, no round yes, absolutely. So until the next episode of Wrestling Rewind, uh, for my co-host Tommy Cairo and our guest Ricky O., Thank you, Rick. I'm also saying have a nice night and a nice life. Good night. Good night, guys.